This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And in this week's episode, we're going to pick up sort of where we left off in last week's episode, and we're going to really focus on the idea of uh, characters where smarts is their primary weapon, and how do we really get that onto the page. And it's a good thing we have this as a topic because <laughs> before we start recording, we always talk about ideas for, for different shows or, you know, just things that we'll put on a list that we might do later on. And Taylor had something that, you know, she, something oh, that I was just had brilliant. An incredible insight. I was, I, you know, a couple of weeks back, we'd been analyzing, I had been looking at villains, like what took a villain from being villain to the still bad guy, but the one that you're rooting for. And it was all from watching these shows and stuff. And I had this other just amazing insight. I was like, oh my God, this would be amazing for a show. And then I promptly forgot it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way she led into this. It's, it's like, oh, I, I, I've got this great, or I had this great idea. And I'm like, okay, well, if we talk about it for a little bit, it'll come out, but uh, it's not coming out. No, maybe one day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, welcome to the world of being one day older than you were the day before and crossing over that threshold to where your brain is never going to be what it was. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> In real time, we're picking this conversation up right where it ended at the end of the last episode. I really wanted to dig in a little bit because of the nature of what I enjoy reading and what I am writing with the idea of smarts as a weapon. Okay. And Monroe, all of your characters, I mean, Jack and Jill and all of your characters, because we get so deep inside their, in their, inside their heads, they, I mean, we can really get a sense for their level of thoughtfulness and how smart they are and how clever they are. And so we buy the deductions that happen and it it's a big part of the story and it's a big part of the connection with the characters. And I tend to like from a mystery standpoint, I mean, you know, the cliched character is Sherlock Holmes, where he's just so much smarter than everyone else. He just, you know, I saw that piece of lint on your on your shoulder and that's why I knew that you killed the person who was holding the blue blanket. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that kind of thing. And that's, it seems really hard to do um, because we're not, we're not as smart as our characters. We, we, I'm, I'm sure that when you're writing Monroe or Jack and Jill and there's a level of thought that might take two or three days that comes up or a week that to come up with the thought processes that they use to get from point A to point B. So I'm, I'm, I, I guess I just want to dig into that process and how that works for you and how we can apply that same thing to our own writing. Okay. So you're right. My characters are way smarter than I am. Um, I don't believe I put it that way. 
<laughs> those words did come out of your mouth. Maybe not quite so harshly, but yes. Um, and, and I agree. My characters are way smarter than I am. And they are able to see things um, very clearly. But from the writing perspective, I think the reason I personally am able to create characters like that is because I'm looking at it uh, from a from a writer's point of view, right? And I'm looking for plot holes. I'm looking for all the possible things that this could have been besides what the character um, figures out that it is. And as I, I often end up with, there's just too much. There's too many things to eliminate. There's too many explanations that have to be made. There's too much that has to be accounted for of all the different strings each thing could lead off, right? So for me, as the author, the challenge is crafting it in such a way that as they find the solution, I'm cutting off some of those possibilities so that they don't end up... um, it doesn't end up being too convoluted. The explanation doesn't take of how they got from point A to point B doesn't take two pages of inner dialogue sorting through the the reasons why they they got to this thing or why it couldn't have been that or why it couldn't have been this. So while my characters on the page are appearing to cut through to to find things very simply on the on the outside of it I have like figured out 50 other ways of things it could have been besides what they have figured out. And I'm finding ways to cut it off so that they're only having to choose between three or four. So that All makes right. them look really smart. Can you but, give me an example of that? Because I'm, I'm, I, I hear you, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around that. Well, I mean, the most recent example, the things that are, are very much still fresh in my mind is, is the trauma I went through trying to get Liar's Legacy um, done. And that's not out yet. And so I, I can't use any of those examples because all of them will be spoilers. But, um, okay, let's pick a, let's take the mask, all right? Monroe mm-hmm. number five. Um, these things are happening. And Monroe doesn't know who is the bad guy. And it turns out... Spoiler alert, there's more than one bad guy um, <laughs> with, with separate motives that have kind of jumbled themselves into the situation. And to sort through that, when, when you have more, when somebody's looking at a series of events and there's endless possibilities of who could have been involved in, in making these things happen, um, it, it could spin off in a hundred different ways because they, that character does not know what you, the author knows, you know, who did it. The character doesn't know who did it. So, you know, when, when Monroe in the mask is looking at, well, this happened, but that couldn't have been so-and-so because so-and-so was over here, but this other thing happened and it looked like so-and-so. And so there there's things that just don't add up. Right. Well, when something doesn't add up, the possibilities of what it could be are infinite. So how do you get your character on the right track? Right. You've got to give them something. You've got to feed them something that they focus in on and go, no, this particular piece of information matters. So now that I have this particular piece of information, I'm going to rule out, you know, 
all those infinite possibilities. And I know I'm looking in direction, you know, over here. I may not know what I'm looking for, but I know it's over here and that's the direction I'm going to keep looking. And what, what, what you're doing with that is, is also telling the reader all your things of making this seem like it's contrived or all these other things. No, those don't count anymore. You're out. Play the game the way I want you to play it. <laughs> Follow along here. And so it heads off all the accusations of contrivance, conveniences, all those things. You're basically hitting those head on and attacking them, saying, wrong, 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 now follow along. And and so it makes your character feel really smart while you're frantically working from behind the scenes to hope that nobody peels back the curtain and see what's really going on, right? <laughs> That's why the characters look smart when the author isn't. Okay, and I'm thinking back to... I, I've talked about Nero Wolf books uh, numerous times on the podcast, but that this brings up something that ha- oftentimes happens in a Nero Wolf book, where it's it's Nero and Archie, and they have to they have to s- solve the crime by themselves, and they're oftentimes at odds with the police, who are also trying to solve the crime, and they don't want Nero and Archie involved, and inevitably there will come a scene where Archie will say. What about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? And Nero will say, that's for the police. They have hundreds of men. If they can figure that out, I mean, they'll be able to track all of these things down. What we need to focus on is this and this. So that's, it, that sounds like exactly what very you were describing, similar, yes. but, but a, a, not a very subtle way of doing it. Well, I mean, I think it's it's brilliant in in many ways because it it basically is stating in black and white, literally, that we're not going to mess with that. So it it takes the reader's mind off of that and focuses the reader on what it is you actually want them to be considering. And I do it sometimes in a slightly different way, where I just flat out admit she doesn't know, he doesn't know, do, he knows these things are happening. There's too much information to figure out where it's all coming from. So just go along with this and it'll come together later. And that's the mentality of the characters. It's too much. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, many authors might have the exact opposite problem that I have where I'm looking at it. Like I'm trying to head off plot holes and I'm looking at potential uh, objections and heading those off. I think I've seen many times in some, some works Authors actually don't think of all those things, and they, because they don't think of them all, they don't include any of them as other possibilities or things that have been eliminated. It makes it seem like the character just kind of came up with the answer by magic. So the one side of it is, you know, your character choosing your weapon, your character smarts, character looks really smart because the author is eliminating possibilities ahead of the character to pave the way. The other is where it just, the author knows this needs to happen and the character just kind of magically comes up with it. That is a big problem. That is a much bigger problem because that leaves readers feeling very, instead of saying, you know, wrong, 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 here, get with the program, follow me, the readers are left going, wait, what about, and how, and and it interrupts the reading experience. So I guess in answering your original question of how do we replicate that in our own writing, I would say 
as you're writing your plots, whether they're thrillers, mysteries, cozies, it doesn't matter. You have got to find the plot holes first. You've got to find all the other possibilities it could be. You don't necessarily have to include them in long, drawn-out red herrings or anything like that, but you have to at least acknowledge that there is something else this could have been. And so for your character to have come upon the quote-unquote correct solution. He had to have followed a path to get there. You've got to document that path. If you don't don't document the path, your character doesn't appear smart. He appears lucky. And lucky leaves people feeling looks like they're dumb because they had to rely on luck and it makes the story feel cheap and contrived. So if you want a character who appears smart, you've got to have them analyze, look at, eliminate obstacles, and follow the logic path to get to where they're going. All right. So how do you then do that without the – because so many people do just add these multi-page thought processes where they just eliminate things. And there are legitimate reasons for it, for eliminating them. But it's like, okay, it just brings the story to a crashing halt. So how, how do you eliminate that and, and avoid – going too long with it. So I think, as with everything, there's no one right answer. You know, some of it's going to depend on the character, right? How the character operates, how the character, um, what their thought process is normally like, because you don't want to, you know, you have your own voice, you have your own style, and all of a sudden it's, oh, you're listening to what Taylor said, now let's interject this particular thing. It's going to feel like, you know, uh, pins and needles and a nice soft cushion, you know? You, (laughs) You don't want to do that. So, so much of it is personalized, right? You have to find your own way to adapt a technique that it works for your particular style. In, in my case, um, because I'm working with characters, I'm thinking of Monroe and I'm thinking of Jack. These are the two characters that tend to function, operate at a little bit higher level than the rest of us when it comes to figuring things out and, and seeing things. So in, in Liar's Legacy, for example, I have times where there's just a lot of stuff that keeps keeps running where Jack doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's just he's going along with it. And all of a sudden, something happens. And he's like, okay, I get it now. And he basically goes, this is why X, Y, Z. This is why this is da, 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 da. And it's all these things that have happened that have been notated, noted ahead of time. So it's almost like they've been foreshadowed, right? In, in his thoughts, he's like, he doesn't understand who this is. He doesn't understand why this is happening. So when he finally gets to the place where he puts two and two together, he does no longer has to eliminate all that stuff in a thought process. He just goes, this is this, this is that, this is this. And those, this is this, that seem so simple on the page, sometimes takes me a week or longer to take this very convoluted thought process of all these possibilities of things that could have been instead and find a way to articulate it so cleanly and so plainly that you never it never crosses your mind to think it could have been something else, right? There is so much that goes on behind the scenes, making sure that when we finally get to that punchline, it is the only way it could have been. So that's craft. That is that is taking what is very, very complex. Anybody can make something complex. 
anybody can can over explain anything, can go into all this detail. The skill lies in taking what is very complicated and making it look simple. When you can do that, your characters are going to appear to be brilliant because of the simplicity on the page. But you you can't do that and write 12 books a year. It's impossible. Well, if it is possible, I want to know who's doing it because I want to bow at their feet and worship them and become their student. You know, <laughs> If there's somebody who's capable of doing it and writing to speed, I need to meet this person and, and worship them. So to, to be able to do that, to, to not turn it into two-page inner dialogue takes time. It takes clarity of thought. It takes really understanding you as a self, yourself, of all the things you're trying to eliminate so that when you hit that, and this is why, and this is why, bang, it's just there. It's just like, oh, of course. All right. So one last question, and then we'll wrap this up. You mentioned earlier that you've got to find the plot holes first. In your process, is that something that happens while you're outlining the story, or is that something that happens while you're writing the story? It happens while I'm writing the story. Like, what the outline will give me is the the map of where this plot is going. And I will... Um, I'll see major things that that don't tie together, like, you know, and then they head to X, Y, Z place. Well, why? Why did they head there and not this other place over here? And those are the types of things that it's really helpful to have explained in your. um, Okay, I I'm going to try and tell this without totally spoiling a story. Oh, God, can I do it? I don't know. Um, (laughs) In Liars? Okay, we already know when we left off in Liars Paradox that Jack and Jill got invited to Berlin to meet their father. They don't know if he's their father, but they know that somebody who's using his name, his persona, has invited them there. And they they want to figure out if this is legit or not, right? So we already know that. Well, when they get there, they end up having to go to a, a different a different place that the meeting doesn't coordinate as as it should have. And you've got to think, if somebody wanted something out of them and it had them right there, they were there, they were at the table, why would they let them get up and walk away and ask them to meet somewhere else? Why? Right. That Mm -hmm. is a plot hole. If the story is going to move. And there's not a reason for it. Then it's a plot hole. It's a contrivance. That's the type of stuff you have to figure out well in advance. And it has to be a part of the plot. Why did they not do something right there and then? And if it doesn't matter, if it actually doesn't change the story one way or another, it's a plot hole. It has to be impactful enough that someone is willing to, because if, if, if there wasn't another reason, a legitimate real reason for this thing not to have happened at that time and place, then it's, there's no story, right? So if, if it could have happened right then and there, but just, eh, it didn't, and now we move on, then you, 
you haven't written a story. You've written an episode, a journey. It doesn't tie together. Everything has to tie together. So those are the types of things that you're looking for well in advance, like out in the outline thing, making sure you've got that tied down, right? There's got to be a reason why the story continues on from that place and doesn't everything doesn't take place in that city, right? So that's the big picture type plot holes. But then as we're getting down to the writing level and we're actually building out these scenes and the characters are moving through this world and they feel under threat or they're suspecting of this or suspecting of that. Well, that's when all the many possibilities that things could be start coming into play. And that's when it gets, things start becoming eliminated. As, as their thought processes develop, you're thinking, well, that's going to spin off into that direction, and that one could spin off into that direction, and we need to keep this coherent so it doesn't turn into, like you said, a two-page two inner monologue. So what are the key issues here that someone in this, this position would be looking at? And you start looking for what you can eliminate, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about before. So it actually, for me, it actually happens on two separate levels. Okay, that's great. And uh, you really answered my question. And so that is it for this episode. Thank you guys very much for being here and uh, listening to this chat on filling in, in, in plot holes and making our characters smarter than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you next week. <laughs>